good to be in God's house on the Lord's day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it because God is and Jesus is alive and our Lord is coming back soon and we want to be ready to meet him when he comes. Amen. So let's worship through the Word of God this morning. We're in Hebrews chapter 12. Actually be in several places this morning, but if you like to have an open Bible in your lap as I do, when I'm worshiping the Lord, you can start with us at Hebrews, and there's a note sheet in your worship guide uh, this morning, and so that might be helpful as we move along uh, today. Greetings to those of you that are with us uh, online in some form or fashion around the world. Uh, Hillcrest members are not. We welcome you and are so thankful that you're tuning in today. And to those of you over at Spanish Trail, God bless you. I'll be over there live with you all next week at the Spanish Trail campus, first time this year. And we look forward uh, to what God's going to do in your life uh, today as well as the important days uh, to come. These are exciting days at Hillcrest. I don't know if you know it or not, but if I've counted correctly, we've baptized every single Sunday of 2020 so far. Uh, most of our baptisms are at 11 o'clock service, and so some of y'all, but we're trying to put together some video montages from time to time so that y'all can see uh, the baptisms that you sometimes miss. Would that be all right with everybody? And uh, the Lord <clears throat> is stirring in our midst in these important days, and we're grateful that we serve a Lord who does change lives, always has and who continues to change lives today. It's been a remarkable month of Sundays. As we've emphasized who's your one, we've challenged one another to begin the year by identifying one person that you know is lost and far from God, lost spiritually, don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, needs to be saved before it's everlasting too late. And I hope that all of us have identified that one. I know a number of people at Hillcrest uh, one person told me, I got five ones, and that's okay too, because we tend to know multiple people. But let's just start with one, if uh, that's what it takes, and pray for that person. Pray that God would soften their heart and be able to minister to their spirit through you, that at some point, God would give you an open door to share the gospel with that person. And it might take multiple times over multiple weeks and multiple months, but I pray that you're going to be intentional, as I will be, uh, to take the gospel to all people and to begin with just one. Uh, as we transition in the month of February, I'm excited. On March 1st, I begin a lengthy series, three months, where we'll be preaching line by line through the Apostles' Creed. Never done that before. Apostles' Creed has been a statement of Christian conviction and belief for 2,000 years in the church. And this is going to be a great sermon series for you to invite those people that you're praying for. If somebody doesn't know the Lord, don't understand what it means to believe as a Christian, man, this is going to be the series for them because we're going to talk about God and we're going to talk about Jesus and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about what we believe about the church, what we believe about eternity, what we believe about the resurrection from the dead and things like that as stated in that summary statement known as the Apostles' Creed. But until we get there, first Sunday of March, we've got three Sundays in February, and we thought it would be a very good time for us to review why we're here and who we are and what we value. Um, what is our purpose as a church? Our purpose, of course, as with all New Testament churches, is to make what? To make disciples. That's right. Regardless of what's on the church sign, 
That is the stated purpose by our Lord Jesus Christ for ours and every other church that follows him as Savior and Lord. And so I think it's a good time for us to review our mission, talk about our principal core values, the things that are essential in terms of what it is that fundamentally bind us together. If you've been around Hillcrest for a while, you should indeed know what our mission is at Hillcrest, our stated mission outside of making disciples. What does that look like? And this is probably a good time to review it. You ought to be able to say it in your sleep. And if you've not ever heard it before, you're going to hear it today and over the next couple of Sundays, and it's just as easy as one, two, three to commit it to memory, because all you have to do is remember four things, becoming like Christ, worship, connect, and serve. Our mission at Hillcrest is to help people in becoming like Christ by worshiping God, connecting with others, and serving the world. How hard is that? Our mission at Hillcrest is to help people in becoming like Christ. How noble a calling is that? That's discipleship. And we do that through the expression and emphasis on our three primary core values, worshiping God, connecting with others, and serving the world. Guys, if you would, put that mission statement back on the screen because we're all going to say it now out loud together with the pastor together. Our mission at Hillcrest is to help people in becoming like Christ by worshiping God, connecting with others, serving the world. Worship, connect, and serve. And today we want to begin with the first stated of those core values, which is the core value of worship. Worship. And we begin here intentionally because I believe that Worship is indeed the most important and the highest priority of the three. In fact, I believe worshiping God is the highest priority in all of life for someone who follows after Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God is what kind of God? God is a jealous God. And that's encoded in the very first commandment that God gave his people, his chosen people called Israel. Exodus chapter 20. I am the Lord thy God who has brought you out of Egypt. You are to have no other gods before me. For the Lord your God, I, the Lord your, uh, Lord your God, am a jealous God. So God is that. And he wants us to know that his expectation is to be uh, the focus of our absolute attention and the object of our greatest affection. We're to focus our attention on God as a core value of our life, and we're to make God uh, the highest uh, and most noble place where we deposit our greatest affection, our greatest love. No other gods before him. Now, I could talk a lot about worship, what it is, what it's not, different dimensions of worship. It would take a series of messages to do that. Worship has a broad range of meanings and a broad range of applications. There's public worship, there's private worship, there's individual worship, there is corporate worship. But for today, uh, I just want us to focus on what we as a church do together. Very specifically, how does the church of the living Christ worship the living Lord together? And so in that sense, in the corporate sense, let's begin with a simple understanding of what worship is. Very simply, worship is the church together glorifying God in his presence with our hearts, our minds, and our voices. 
Uh, Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It included in that is the concept of your body as well, which we're to offer as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, Paul says. That is our reasonable service of worship. And so you kind of put those together and Worship is a, an offering of the believer to God, heart, mind, soul, a soul, body, strength in every respect. And when we come together as a church, as a body of believers, that's what we're to do. We're to glorify God, to make him the supreme object of our attention and the supreme focus of our affection, to glorify God in his presence for where two or three are gathered in his name. The Bible says God is in our midst. We glorify God in his presence, and we do it with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, and body, and our voices. So listen to how the writer of the Hebrews says it in Hebrews 12 and verse 28. This great verse. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And hidden in that statement right there is this attitude of gratitude. You're really never going to worship God effectively until you learn to be thankful for who God is and what God has done for you. Y'all are thankful a lot this morning for who God is and for what God has done for you. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God in our gratitude, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And what that tells us simply is that because of who God is, holy, pure, perfect, the writer of the Hebrews says he is a consuming fire. And that gives us a picture of absolute Puritan holiness. Fire is always a picture of the holiness of God. God showed up to Moses in the form of a burning bush, and that fire indicates the purity and the holiness of God. Moses needed to take his shoes off in order to stand effectively in the presence of God because of his unmovable, unshakable, immutable holiness, because of who God is, because of everything that God has done, saving us by the blood of Christ, bringing us into his family, this eternal kingdom an unshakable, everlasting kingdom. Because of all of that, we're to respond with what the writer calls acceptable worship. And the question is, what is that? How do you define acceptable worship? Well, no doubt's a lot to say on the subject, more than I can in 20 or 30 minutes, or 60 or 70, as I sometimes do, whatever the case might be. Uh, but there's a lot to say, and the reality is I'm going to boil it down to three things, three absolute crucial. This is like doing pre-marriage counseling. I have couples I deal with all the time, just finished up, a young couple's getting ready to get married in about a month. And I told them, I said, if we did this right, I'd have you here 13 straight weeks. You don't have enough time for that. I don't have enough time for that. But that's probably what it would take to do a complete job. So what I'm going to do is have you here about three or four straight weeks, and I'm going to tell you what I think you have to know. This is what you have to know. If you know this, you can have a slice of heaven on earth. If you don't know this, you're going to have a rocky time. So let's boil it down to the main essentials, and that's what we're going to do with acceptable worship today. The three hardcore essentials that make for that. First of all, preparation. We prepare ourselves 
personally. Because if you fail to do that, you probably will not offer to God biblical acceptable worship. You know, the, 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 the fact that we have the capability as human beings of even knowing God is an amazing thing. The fact that we can know God, the fact that we can talk to God and know that God listens to us and <clears throat> hears us, the fact that we can actually bow down before God and worship Him, as the Bible says, in a spiritual kind of way, I mean, that's what distinguishes you from everything else that God ever made. So it makes you different from your dog or your cat living at home, or for some of you, your snake. I've got some weird people at Hillcrest. That's all I'm going to say. Leave that alone. But it's how God has made you fundamentally differently from them. Because God has, the very essence of humanity is to live in an eternal relationship with God. To know God and be known by God and to fellowship with God as the first man, the first woman did before sin corrupted that relationship. John R. W. Stott, the great British pastor theologian, called that our greatest claim to nobility. The fact that God made us to know him, to be known by him. But worship doesn't just happen because you're a human being created in the image of God. We're all humanity created in God's image, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we bow down and worship God. We will bow down and worship something, isn't that right? But not everybody's going to bow down and worship God. No, worship is fundamentally a spiritual response to the person and work of God in our life. And because worship is by nature something that's spiritual and not physical, though it can involve physical forms, no question, but it's fundamentally spiritual, and because of that, it requires spiritual preparation on the part of the worshiper. Jesus told that Samaritan woman, I keep going back to John 4. I'm telling you, you could do a sermon series through John 4. They got into a little discussion about worship there before those disciples came back. And Jesus told her there one of the most important statements about worship that you find in the Bible. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him. How? In spirit and in truth. In other words, true worship can't be accomplished simply in the flesh. When it comes to worship, you don't get to make the rules. That's kind of what that means. You don't get to make the rules when it comes to worship. Because true worship is always shaped and experienced in the realm of the spirit. Spiritual realm. The unseen dimension of your life. Worship is... Not so much something that you do with your hands or with your feet. It's something you do with your heart. It's a heart response to God. When the Virgin Mary worshiped God in the wake of that incredible promise to her, how did she respond? Do you remember? Luke chapter 1. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in my Savior. Did you see that? My soul and my spirit magnifies and rejoices in God my King. And because worship is indeed that kind of spiritual act, you've got to be spiritually prepared when the church gathers together for worship. And this is where you have to be careful because just because you're here this morning doesn't mean that you're worshiping God. Amen. You can be physically present and spiritually aloof when you gather together on the Lord's Day <clears throat> or whenever together with the people of God. 
How many times have people come to church? I'm just saying, when you worship God in spirit, you're always going to get some part of God out of it. And how many times have we come to worship only to leave, shaking our head? You know what? I just didn't get anything out of that today. I didn't get anything out of that today. Translation, those guys on the stage didn't scratch my itch today. Those guys on the stage didn't give me what I came to get this morning. Can I tell you what that is? called consumer Christianity, and it's killing the Western church. Now, don't get me wrong. I think the leadership on stage ought to be prepared. Can I have an amen? And heaven help us and heaven discipline us if we're not. But much of the time, could it be that I as a worshiper come to church unprepared? Could there be some here today that have come to church lacking in spiritual preparation? James 4.8 is an appropriate reminder that God's voice only is clear as we're ready to receive it. James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Do you see the cause and effect there? What comes first? My drawing near to God. You draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And then comes the imperative, cleanse your hands, you sinners. I think James ought to learn to get a little more bold with his church. <laughs> cleanse your hands. If I said that this morning, y'all would leave here saying, I didn't like that. <laughs> cleanse your hands, you sinners. Let me hide behind the Bible this morning. And purify your hearts you double-minded. You know what it means to be double-minded? To be double-minded is try to live worldly and spiritually at the same time. So try to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom at the same time. To try and approach God your way and on your terms rather than his way and on his terms. That's what it means to be double-minded in your approach to God. In fact, that's what the writers of the Old Testament, many of them, uh, referred to as strange fire. You ever read that in the Old Testament? Where so-and-so offered to God strange fire. And it was unacceptable to God. In fact, not only was it unacceptable, God disciplined it whenever that kind of fleshly worship took place in the camp of the kingdom of Israel. And this is why we need to be spiritually prepared to worship. Jesus said it, didn't he, in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Who shall see God? Who will have a vision of God? Who will have an encounter with the living God, the one who is pure in heart? And let me just say, even for those who are walking in the Spirit of God, purity in heart doesn't just automatically happen. God cleanses your heart once and for all and forever from a positional standpoint when you surrender to faith in Jesus Christ. But sometimes even a purified heart can get dirty again, and you've got to keep it clean by abiding in the presence of the Lord, repenting daily. See, repentance isn't just a one-time act. It's a daily Spiritual discipline, washing and cleansing yourself in the presence of the Lord, confessing your sins, knowing that God is faithful and just <clears throat> and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us. 
from every unrighteousness. And so it's important before we as the body of Christ gather together for worship that we wash our hands and purify our hearts. That means confessing sin. It means seeking the blessing of God. It means removing uh, unnecessary distractions like cutting off the television and putting away the cell phone, particularly on Sunday morning as you're getting ready to meet the Lord. Turn it off and put it down. I'll tell you another thing it means, if you're going to worship God effectively, it means to make sure that you're all square with the relationships of your life. You're living with grudges in your life. If you've got broken relationships, if you're harboring bitterness, let me just say, that's going to hinder not only your prayer life, it's going to hinder your worship life as well. And so you've got to make sure you're right, not only with God, you've got to make sure you're right with people. Jesus taught that very clearly. If you come offering yourself and offering your offering before the Lord, and you know that someone has ought against you, in other words, there's an existing brokenness in a relationship, what does Jesus say do? Drop that thing, namely the offering. It's an extreme word. In fact, to drop an offering before the altar of the Lord was an act of profanity to most Jews. To drop it on the ground, that's what Jesus said, leave it, drop it, turn from it. First, go and be what? Reconciled to your brother. Then come back and you'll find that you're right with God as you've become right with that other person. And now you're ready to offer acceptable worship in the presence of God. So it's important that we live with holy, pure, clean lives because the Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So acceptable worship is worship in spirit and it requires active preparation on the part of the worshiper. You first draw near to God, trust his promise. When I draw near to God, God will draw near to me. Everybody with me so far, say amen. Secondly, acceptable worship means not only that we prepare ourselves personally, we praise God publicly. First, having prepared ourselves personally, now we're ready to praise God publicly. And I'm using praise kind of in a general sense to talk about the various elements of worship that we're experiencing all together here this morning at Hillcrest, the things that we do that make for worship as a part of God's people coming together and worshiping together on the Lord's day. How specifically are we to worship God as a people? Well, there's a lot, again, that we could say about this, but I can give you two or three things. One, uh, we worship God through singing and with music, which we've done for about half an hour uh, already this morning. That's a very biblical thing to do. And that's typically, for most people, when you use the word worship, uh, most people identify worship with what is done and accomplished in the first one half of most Western church services. That's worship. So we have this dichotomy, which as you're going to see, I believe, to be a false dichotomy. First, we have the worship, and then we have the preaching, as if preaching and listening to preaching is not worship. But it's all worship. But when we think of worship, most believers tend to equate that with what we do when we open our mouth uh, and, and put the vocals that come out of our mouth 
in connection with music that's being played in some way. And no doubt that is a huge and important part of worshiping God together as a community of faith. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. So praising God with music is legit for the people of God. And it's a response of gratitude that we can trace all the way back to the first couple of books of the Bible. Man, you got people singing in the book of Genesis. You got people singing as a part of praise in the book of Exodus, especially in the book of Exodus, because man, when God delivered his people from 400 years of Egyptian bondage, do you not know that they've got something to sing about in the book of Exodus? Particularly in the wake of crossing over that Red Sea, seeing God take his judgment out on that wicked nation of Egypt, man, they had everything to sing about. And can I just say this morning, if they had reason to sing, you as a born-again believer have double reason to sing because Jesus paid it all, amen. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. My Lord, through the cross and through the empty tomb, has washed it white as snow. So we have a reason to sing, and that's why every church ought to be singing church. We've talked about that before. Not every religious group, not every religious uh, conviction has singing as a part of it, but boy, we do, and we should, because we of all people have the most to be happiest about, the most to be contented over, the most to be excited about, the most hopeful, the most to look forward to, the most to rejoice over because of what God has done for us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is why, by the way, singing and rejoicing are two sides of the same coin. There's part of you really that has to sing in order to rejoice in the Lord. I mean, they're, they're that closely connected in Scripture. And by the way, can I just say too that I'm so thankful that here in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul says that we should make or sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. I'm so thankful that he said hearts rather than lips or mouth because I can't carry a tune in a bucket. See, this is good news for people like me who are musically illiterate, can't read music, can't really sing, and I know Johnny Cash couldn't sing either and made a billion dollars, I know all of that. <laughs> couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, but he was a hit. And you know what? If your heart's right and you sing and make melody in your heart, you're a hit with the risen Christ as well. Even though all you can do like me is make a joyful noise unto the Lord, I can do that if it reflects a grateful heart for who God is and what God has done. So we worship through music and, and, and through vibrant singing. But then, as I mentioned a moment ago, we worship by preaching the gospel and by listening to the preaching of the Word of God. That, that's worship. This is what we're doing right now, having this dialogue. And I do call it a dialogue because in your mind, you're talking back at me. You just can't do it vocally or security will take you out. But you are talking back and I'm anticipating what you're thinking and trying to respond to that. And so even though it's a monologue, literally, it's a dialogue in actuality. And this is very much a part of the worship of God's people. And uh, in fact, if you read the book of Acts, there very, really very little said in the book of Acts, that history of the early church, very little said about singing. But I mean, 
practically in every chapter what's emphasized in the book of Acts? The preaching of the gospel. Is that right? I mean, it's preaching, preaching, preaching. Most of it focused on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so worship is always based on an objective standard. And that's why you can't divorce worship from the word of God. Jesus said, we worship in spirit and in what? And in truth. And certainly thy word is truth. Jesus said that in John chapter 17. And this objective standard that we use as a basis for true and genuine worship is, of course, the Bible, God's holy word. And the charge of the preacher is to relate God's word directly to the heart of the human worshiper because it's primarily through the preaching of Scripture that we come to a vision and to an understanding of the true and living God. And this is why preaching, in my opinion, is the heart of Christian worship. It's why we have the pulpit situated in the very center of the worship center in our Baptist tradition because the preaching of the Word stands at the heart. It is what Dr. Criswell, who pastored First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas for 52 years. 52 years he pastored the same church. Can I have an amen? amen? And he said preaching is the highest order of worship. And I think that's right. And how you listen to the preaching of the Word of God uh, is critically important uh, because it says a lot about the level of your worship. Uh, you come to church in our tradition with a Bible, either like mine in the print form or on your phone electronically, but you've got an open Bible, so you can listen critically, and you should. I encourage critical listening in, in a positive sense, uh, critical listening, because we're all in the same family together, and preaching ought to be based not on the public opinion of the preacher, but on the public opinion of God as contained in the Word of God. But you also ought to listen, not only critically, but you should listen expectantly with a sense of urgency and with a sense of expectancy that God's going to give you a vital word through his word and by his spirit that somehow is going to impact your life, maybe even transform it. That kind of listening, the clear, faithful, Bible-centered preaching will bring about the fruit of praise every time. And if that's your expectation when you come to church, I can say even in the presence of even the most mediocre communicator of God's word, you're going to leave receiving something from the spirit of God that will make a difference in your life that day and in the immediate days to come. Preaching. And then another element of worship that we'll all experience this morning or have already even is the worship of giving. Uh, the offering is a time of worship. It's a time where the church, listen, when we give an offering at Hillcrest, it's not just about gathering money in order to pay bills, though we do gather money and we do pay bills with it. But faithful and generous giving is an important part of acceptable worship because if you're talking about worshiping biblically, when the people of God come together as a congregation, they come bearing an offering to God. You don't ever find worship separated from giving anywhere among the people of God as it's recorded in Scripture. No, giving, sometimes what we call tithing, 
It's the response. And listen, I'm not talking about being legalistic. I'm just talking about having a grateful, worshipful response to God that longs to give something back. We're not just consumers in worship. Yes, we get something out of it. But the one who genuinely worships God comes to give something in response to give something back to God in response to what God has already eternally given in Christ. Man, how can anybody who's been delivered from spiritual darkness by the grace of God alone stand in the presence of that holy God and not be moved to give something in return? In the book of Genesis, the first thing that Noah did after nearly a year aboard the ark And there wasn't any law to tell him to do it. But the first thing that he did was to build an offer and give a series of sacrificial offerings. And there wasn't a lot of life on planet earth at the time. Only life, for the most part, was what he had in that boat. And this is one reason why Noah took seven pair of clean animals with him over and against only one pair of unclean animals. You know why the discrepancy? Because he knew he had to eat and he knew he was going to need to give. And that's the first thing that he does when he finally comes off of that boat after a year on it because he wanted to give an offering to God in response to the gratitude of his heart. It's the pattern for worship, the Old Testament, the New Testament. So we don't get into legal arguments about the propriety of giving as a response to God because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, see to it. See to it, he's writing to the church, see to it that you abound in this grace of giving. So let's forget the law for just a moment and pose the question, in my response to worship of God, am I an excellent, abundant, generous giver? That, brothers and sisters, is the New Testament standard. There's a lot I could say here about how we worship through baptism. We're going to do that next hour. How we worship through the Lord's Supper when we take Holy Communion together. How we worship God when we fast. How we worship God when we pray. How we worship God, really, when we use our hands and our feet to serve our church and to serve our community. All of these are important when it comes to the church bringing praise to God in worship. And here's the thing, every one of them, you have to plan to do. You have to plan to sing with all your heart. You have to plan to engage in the listening of the preached word of God. You have to plan to give because you tend to, you'll tend not to do those things that you don't intentionally plan to do. And again, all of that gets back to a worshiper who's preparing their heart to meet the Lord. Are y'all still with me this morning? Say amen. Amen. Now, the last thing about acceptable worship means that we prioritize God relationally. We prepare ourselves personally. We praise God publicly. We prioritize God relationally. And I think this is so important. This is the discipline of abiding in the Lord so that we understand that worship is not just a one day out of seven event. It really is a lifestyle. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we make it our goal to please him. 
whether we're at home in the body or away from it. And so in an individual sense, worship is pleasing God with every part of my life. Offering my body as a living sacrifice to God, whole and acceptable, not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of my mind, mind, body, heart, soul, and spirit, pleasing God with every part of my life. So when we talk about uh, living and priority relationship with God as a part of worship, what that simply means is, I'm not sure y'all still with me. If you're still with me, say amen. Worship is not about me, it's about him. It's about him. I mean, contrary to popular opinion, uh, we are not the audience in worship. God is the audience in worship. People choose their churches for a lot of reasons, but I'm just saying if you go to a church for the pastor or you go for the music or you go for the connect group or you go for the tradition or you go for the non-tradition or you go for anything other than Jesus, then you've got a serious case of misplaced priorities. Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And Jesus doesn't want it. And neither does God, who tells his people in the first chapter of the book of Isaiah, I despise your religious expression. I hate your religious feast. Now, this is the Lord who instituted the religious feast. God says, I don't like it. Yeah, I invented it, but I don't like the way you're doing it because you've prioritized the ritual over your relationship with me. You're all show and no substance. And that never brings honor and glory to God. Going back to that conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman about worship, um, he made it clear that worship wasn't about form. They got into a discussion. I mean, you know, she said, I ain't going to Jerusalem to worship. And he said, well, you know, here's the thing. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship God. And she said, well, I'm not going up on that mountain to worship him. We worship over there on that mountain. And Jesus said, well, it ain't about the mountain. It's not about the city, and it's not about the mountain. And this is where he gives her that statement. True worship means worshiping God. How? In spirit and in truth. And by the way, can I just say here this morning, that means that genuine worship, if it's in spirit and in truth, and if Christ is the spirit of God living within me, Christ in me, the hope of glory, And if Jesus is who he said he is, the way, the truth, and the life, then by default, that means to worship God in spirit and in truth always means to worship God in Christ. That's how you worship. In spirit, in truth, in Christ. It's not in Baptist or in Methodist or in Presbyterian It's in Christ that makes it worship. It's not in formal wear or in Levi's, in t-shirts or tuxedos. It's in Christ that makes it true worship. It's not in band or in orchestra, in harmonica or in kazoo. 
It is in Christ that makes it authentic worship. In spirit, in truth, in Christ. And this is why we gotta get out of the attitude. What am I gonna get out of this today? That's the wrong question. You're starting with all the wrong question because that's Christian consumerism. The right question when we gather together is what is God gonna get out of me today? That's where we begin. Because right worship always means a vision of and a focus on the risen Christ. And when there is no encounter with the risen Christ, this side of the cross, I'm not sure authentic worship has actually taken place. What will God get from my heart today? In all that we do, we have to ask ourselves, is this calling attention to me or is this bringing glory to Christ? That is acceptable worship. In this life's highest priority, at Hillcrest, learning to do that well is the foundation for everything else that we're called to do in our journey of becoming like Christ. So let's offer to God acceptable worship, knowing that our living Lord is indeed a consuming fire worthy of our very best. This is God's word, and let all who agree say amen this morning.